Celebrity Interview. Okay, so how many of you guys have watched The Late Show before? Like one of the late night talk shows, yes? Jimmy Kimmel, yep. Jimmy Fallon, yep. any other person named Jimmy who's on after 9 p.m.? Dave Letterman. Yes. Okay, so you know how it works, right? So whenever there's a celebrity who's being interviewed, everybody always says things like, like if they say something moderately cute, everybody goes, Aww. or if they say something like slightly funny, everybody's like, Aww. or if they say something like kind of shocking, everybody goes, Aww. exactly, you guys get the game. Okay, so this is how it works. I'm gonna pick somebody at random, and uh, what this may be entirely fictional or non-fictional, you don't know, but the point is you get to treat somebody who's not a celebrity like a celebrity. So this is your chance to live out your dream if you get picked. But anyway, um, you, you just need to be prepared to roll with the punches, okay? So that's that's how it works. So tonight, we, we gotta, so you gotta treat this like it's a real game, like it's a real show. So you gotta pretend, first of all, like I just came out from a curtain and I'm wearing a sharp suit. Ready, here we go. So I didn't, you know. Right, right. So how does it, 
So what is, uh, what is, can you describe to us what Indiana is like? What is, what's your favorite thing about Indiana? Uh, the cornfields are definitely the best thing. And corn fans. <laughs> yeah. 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 The corn flakes. Corn nuts, corn nuts, corn nuts, corn bread, corn bread, corn bread, corn bread, corn tortillas, yeah, tortillas, corn, 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 I saw the cover, and do we have a picture? It's fantastic. Of the cover? No? No? No. Okay. No, but we can get one. Okay, so we're, no? uh, we're pointing. Obviously, it's still a work in progress. Yeah, but it doesn't even have a name yet. <laughs> so, what we, so, what is, could you just like kind of sum up what's it about? Obviously, you've been working, this has been like, well, you said it was a couple, I think it was a quote, was it Vogue? You said it was the work of a lifetime? Yeah. Okay. Uh, wow. I mean, that is awe inspiring. I love it. So, are there actually words printed on it, or is yeah. it just yeah? yeah. Um, that, and then it looks like teeth. Those are teeth, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, could you just kind of describe what? So, what is it called? Uh, it's, about? it's untitled. Um, yeah, that sums it up pretty well, actually. <laughs> so, it's just called untitled. Is this a yeah. is this a biography, or is this more of a self It's a biography. Okay, with some software. Oh, okay. So this is your. This is so. This, this is, is you. Yeah. Summing up you. Yes. No one would know that these days. Yeah. So that. Yeah, I see you got one bad tooth. Could you? So uh, if it's a golden tooth, why is that? Oh, I thought that was. It looked like. No, a that just, yeah, no, okay. So so what's the golden tooth of your life? Oh jeez. Yeah, they're my dog. Aww. His name's Chief. Oh, okay. Oh, and how old is Chief? Two and a half. Awesome. Does he, have, yeah. <laughs> Does he have terrible as my dog? Oh, he's worse. Oh, okay. Yeah. What is the worst thing your dog has ever done? Oh. Um, pooped on my bed. Oh. While I was sleeping. While you were in it? Yes. Oh. <laughs> you're kidding me. I'm not. That, that, so, like, you're not, that, that's not even, like. That's, that's, that's actually the first, uh, first chapter. <laughs> okay, so the first chapter is just called Teeth on a Corn Cob. <laughs> yeah. That pretty much sums up your experience in, 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 in Indiana. Indiana. Yeah. Well, we've been dying to, we would all we would all love to read it. And the great news is, everybody who's here in our live TV audience gets a free copy of the book. Yeah. 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 We are so excited. And also, we're looking forward to the album that's going to accompany the book. Yeah. It's going to be very exciting. It's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Lyrically? <Yes. laughs> it's all just in song form. Okay, wow. We just sing it out. Is it like an it's more of an audible? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, audible, audible. That's very cool. Is that okay. not sponsored? Not okay. Yeah, you have to be careful because if we say things, then we have to pay five hundred dollars to somebody somewhere. Someone. Yeah. So we stay away from audible. You could say you could say a book that I listened to on a very like, well known app. Yeah. If you say <laughs> if you say like dictionary, that's fine. But if you say a well known application, even that is a little fishy. That's, yeah, but then, so, okay, can we, are, are you planning on, I've, I've heard this is in the works, is it going to be like one of those Disney books where you push the buttons and it makes sound effects when you turn the page? Oh. Or like there's a song per page? 
Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> awesome. So the book is Untitled. The guy, the author, is Patrick West. I want you guys to give it up for Patrick. Oh, so that our, uh, our time together would be effective for the sake of your sanctification, of your growth, and your uh, maturity in the faith. We're calling this series in Ephesians gum because we want it to stick, right? We're talking about grace. Somebody say grace. Grace. We're talking about unity. Somebody say unity. Unity. And maturity. Somebody say maturity. 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 Grace, unity, and maturity. I think a lot of us want to be emotionally mature people, but sometimes we end up with hang-ups and habits and issues that we think kind of are preventing us from getting to the place where we would like to be spiritually. Anybody there? Okay, so here, and I, I Jamie and I, my, my wife over here, we've been leading Regenerate for uh, almost, we're, look, we're looking at five years now, and um, so we started this in fall 2015, so this is five years of regenerate, which is pretty incredible. God's been super gracious. And the thing is, and, and we've seen people come to Christ through this ministry for the first time. We've seen people who have experienced God in a whole new way through what, what's been going on here, but it is all God. It is all Him. It has nothing to do with how gifted uh, we are. It has nothing to do uh, uh, with how uh, goofy or charismatic I might be. It has nothing to do even with non-celebrity celebrity interviews. Whoa. Whoa. But it has to do with the grace of a God who actually knows us intimately and desires that we would know him intimately. And in his grace, he actually meets us in this place and speaks to us. In the Old Testament, there's a story about a guy named Moses. And it says that Moses saw God and it says he spoke with him face to face as with a friend. What an incredible thing, right? To meet with God face to face, the creator of all things, face to face and to speak with him as a friend. Would anybody want that experience? Or would many, raise your hand if you're terrified, because I would also be terrified of that experience, A to the men. But tonight we're going to be talking about grace again. We're going to be talking about why God chose us. Why God chose you. God chose you. And why did God choose you? We're going to talk about that tonight. So let's pray first. We're going to pray a few times tonight. But Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, we ask you to fill this place we, uh, I ask you, God, to, to give me your words. Let my words, God, be your words. I, I don't want to share from my own presuppositions or my own experiences or my own opinions, but I want to preach the word of God tonight. We don't need ex advice, God. We don't need a better way to manage our issues. We don't need a, a better spiritual pathway. We don't need a, a decent philosophy of life. What we need is a word from God. We need a word that changes us at the core of who we are. So we invite you, God, to speak to us in the very center of us. Whatever emotional issues we came in the door with, God, we check those attitudes. We check those issues at the door. We come in here, God, because we want to meet with you. 
And if we got dragged in here by a friend and we were like, what is this guy saying right now? I don't actually want that, or I'm not sure if I do, God. Just pray that you give us open minds. For those of us who, who, who don't know you, for those of us who are just curious about you, I pray you give us open hearts and open minds to see if this God, this, this God of Christianity is real, if he's the legit deal, because I believe you are. So Holy Spirit, let my words be your words, God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer, and everybody who trusts in the Lord Jesus said, Amen. All right, you know in Regenerate, if somebody preaches something that speaks to your soul, you've got to say, yes. You also know you've got to have your Bible open, so that way you can point at it while you're waving your hanky and say, Yeah, there you go. Patrick even knows. He's from Indiana. He knows what's up. But tonight we're talking about this the second portion of Ephesians that's a focus on grace. And last week, uh, it, we're actually, uh, I know and I mentioned I'm in Ephesians 2, but actually we're not going to quite get to Ephesians 2. We're finishing Ephesians chapter 1, and there is a lot of theology going on right here. There is a lot of doctrine going on here, and a lot of stuff that is foundational to our faith as Christians. If you are a Christian, that is, you put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ for uh, eternal life and for transformation of your own life, if you believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah then your life has been changed, not because of anything that you have done, but because there was a grace that was bestowed on you. And in, ver and in the, that first chapter, we, we learned about how God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. We talked about the doctrine of election and how God in his wisdom and in his kindness and in his love um, looked down the corridor of time. He sees us and in spite of who we are, in spite of our imperfections, in spite of all those issues, he looks at us and says, I want them on my team. And there is, and he, he gives his grace that calls us. Everyone is invited, but few, there's only a few people who respond to the call, who will respond to the call. And there's a lot of theological uh, discussion around how that works. But what we, do, what we do know is this. There is a call, a general calling, and there is an effectual. Somebody say effectual. Effectual calling of God. That effectual calling is the irresistible grace of God drawing us into his presence. And there is no way to resist it. I love the fact that Paul wrote this book because he's an example of a guy who really tried to resist the grace of God. And it ended up literally knocking him on his butt. So that's pretty cool. And so... Now that we're going to ask this question, why God chose you? And so let's start with this first question here. What does God want for you? You ever think about that? What does God want for you? When I was six years old, um, my mom told me uh, that not everybody goes to heaven. Okay. And as a little white six year old going to church every Sunday with my parents, glory to God and God bless America. I was like, ah, no. Which, uh, you know, it sounds fun when you're a kid and you're like, yeah, well, we get to play in the clouds. But then when you're an adult and you're like, you mean we, get to sit, we have to sit around with a harp on a cloud for eternity? That sounds dumb. And it is dumb and it's not biblical, but that's besides the point. Um, um, so I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, I, I want to go to heaven. And so my mom told me, you need to have Jesus live in your heart. And, I, and I, so, you know, six-year-old me, I'm like, how do I, how do I, how do I let Jesus into my heart? You know, I wasn't thinking like real estate. I'm thinking like physically, how does he get in there? You know, like so, um, but I, I wanted him to live in my heart. So my mom introduced me to this to the concept of prayer and saying, you need to connect with God through prayer. And it is through prayer that your life is going to be changed. And it was. Um, from six years old onward, I was a child of God, in the words of my good friend, 
Mr. Kyle Ridley, <laughs> Kyle Charlie, child of God Ridley. I was a child of God from that point on. Now, I took my faith a lot more seriously coming like junior high and stuff like that, especially going into my college years, but it started off like that. Now, what happened there? At six years old, did I fully understand the grace of God? No, not even close. But had God effectually called me? Yes, absolutely. Had God predestined me before the foundations of the earth? Yes. And so we have to grapple with this. And it says this, and then Paul, right up. So Paul just spent all this time talking about predestination and redemption. And he talked about how God has predestined us. The important thing is not so much the predestination as it is what the destination is. He's saying God destined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And so because of that, we have this destiny in front of us. There's a hope in front of us. There's a purpose in front of us that is lying ahead of us. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel when you are a Christian. If you don't know Jesus, I, I can't speak for you. But I can say this, that if you know Jesus, that there is always going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. And so it's in this, uh, he talks about he talks about redemption, and then he talks interestingly about the concept of glorification. Somebody say glorification. glorification. And he talks about an inheritance that we have in Jesus because of what he has purchased for us at the cross, that we who trust in him have this spiritual inheritance that's laid aside. He's using the same language of adoption, and he's saying, because you've been adopted, guess what? What's interesting about adoption, we talked about this last week, is when you are adopted in, um, even if the person who adopted you wants to give you everything they have, they can't actually give it to you until they die. Somebody help me out, because you've got to die first before the inheritance can be given. So Jesus, who had the Holy Spirit, God's presence living in and moving through him, knew that he wanted to give his inheritance to us as God's children and in order to do that he had to die so he did and then after he died he rose up from the grave so proclaiming himself to be God and he's seated at the right hand of God right now awaiting the day when he can deliver the fullness of the inheritance to us but for now he's saying I'll give you a down payment on the inheritance and that is my presence through the Holy Spirit and it is in this atmosphere that Paul continues because there are so many people who just ask this, who never really ask this question. What does God want for me? What does God want for me? Does he want me to be a social worker? Does he want me to be an auto mechanic? Does God really care that much about my vocation? Does God want me to be a Giants fan? Yes, he does. Does he? No, I'm just kidding. Um, does God want you to move to a certain place? Does God want you to marry a certain person, right? That's on everybody's mind in college, right? Who am I going to marry? You know, I, I get it. I, yeah, I totally get it. But we're thinking about all these things, especially in college. It's like, what's the trajectory of my life? But instead of thinking about your life, think about what God has destined for you. If there's actually a blueprint out there for your life, and there's something that God, if God already predestined you for salvation, what if there's other things that he has in mind for you? Let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Are you guys ready? Let's open up God's Word. So if you have a Bible, open it up. If you have an app, open it up. If you don't have either of those, you need to contact me so I can get you a Bible or I can direct you to the app. So, we all there? Let's do this. Um, let's all stand together as we read. You can hold your Bible in front of you or you can read it right off the screen here. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Let's read. Are you ready? One, two, three, go. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is God's word. Let's pray one more time. Jesus, reveal yourself tonight. Show us what the scripture means. Why is this letter that was circulated to churches 2,000 years ago relevant to us today? And God, I am asking, as Paul asked, for, for wisdom, for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, All right, you can have a seat. So, as we ask this operating question, what does God want for us? We have to examine what Paul asks in this, in this section of Scripture. So he's writing to a number of churches, one of which was Ephesus, another of which was likely Laodicea, and there's some others as well. And this letter was circulated among all of them, and because of that, he's address addressing big doctrinal issues. Somebody say doctrine. 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 You have to say it seriously. Doctrine. Doctrine. Like Batman. Doctrine. And so um, this is it's serious business. And so he's, he's wanting to address some of the major doctrinal issues that we need to understand as Christians. And also, take note that throughout this letter, Paul knows that he is addressing two distinct people groups. He's addressing people who are of Jewish descent and background, and he is addressing those who are of Gentile descent and non-Jewish background. And this is very important, because essentially what you're looking at is a church that is split. A church that is split between the haves and the have-nots. Those who, are, who feel like they are spiritually privileged and those who feel like they are not privileged. There are those who are in and those who are out. So he's speaking to these two people groups, and you'll see him throughout this letter working to bring them together. Because unity is something we need in the church, right? And this is something we're going to explore soon. But first, he knows that he needs to lay the foundation, which is grace. And so far, and I love this. So he just talked about all these doctrines, and he says, and he gives thanks, right, in verse 16. It says, I give, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. So when he says, for this reason, what's he talking about? Well, first of all, he's talking about the doctrines he just discussed. He's talking about election, how, uh, uh, how God chose you before the foundations of the world, that your life has meaning because it has eternally mattered to God. Did you know that? That you have eternally mattered to God? That he thought about you before you ever had a chance to think about yourself, before your great, 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 granddaddy had a chance to even think about you. He was thinking about you. That's why it says in Psalm 139 that you're fearfully and wonderfully made before the foundations of the world. He had this person, this person who he wanted to weave into the fabric of his dream. So he has election. He talked about election. He talked about redemption, how Jesus died in our place for our sins. And because of that, he became the atoning sacrifice for those sins so that we would not have to pay the punishment for them. And he absorbed the wrath of God and he absorbed the effects of sin on the cross so that we would not have to pay for them if we receive him by faith. 
And then he talks about glorification. He talks about the eventual destiny that we that these saints can participate in. And I love that he says, also you guys, because he keeps saying that God has predestined us. And, he, and it's, and it's kind of like, oh, like us, like you, Paul, and your friends. And it's my opinion that I think that, yeah, and in one sense, he is actually talking about himself and also those of like Jewish descent, because he's Jewish. And he's saying, yeah, we know that God chose us, and it's easy as a non-Jewish person to go, well, yeah, Genesis says that God picked Abraham to bless the nations of the earth, so that makes sense. But what about me? And he's saying, in him you also, having heard the word of truth, have, or, or have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, you are equal recipients of the grace of God, and it doesn't matter where you come from. Somebody shout amen right there. You're missing a chance. Amen. And then he says this, though. Two things. Two things that he's really thankful for. One is faith. The other is love. He says, faith in the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it's not merely mental or emotional agreement. I think sometimes when we think of faith, we think of, like, belief, right? We think of the idea of, like, well, I believe in something, like, I don't know, believing in Santa Claus. I just believe that he's real, you know, like, was it the Santa Claus, the old 90s movie, where it's like, it's not, it's like, believing isn't seeing, or it's like, seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing, you know, um, that kind of thing. But it's like, which actually, there's some deep biblical truth to that, and that'll preach, but anyway, that's a different sermon. Faith. What is faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 says that it is, the, it, it is the confidence of that which we can, in, in that which we cannot see. There is a, not just, a, not just a, an idea that, oh, I think this thing exists, or I mentally agree with this doctrine, but it's saying my life is oriented around something that I have devoted myself to. It is about wholehearted devotion to God. Is your life wholeheartedly devoted to God? Or are you wholeheartedly devoted to yourself? Are you wholeheartedly devoted to a cause, to a social justice initiative? Are you, so, are you wholeheartedly devoted to starting a business someday? Are you wholeheartedly devoted to getting a boyfriend? Are you wholeheartedly devoted to your money? What are you wholeheartedly devoted to? And then he says, I thank God all the time. When I think about, isn't that great? Isn't that great that Paul is looking at, and he's, he's thinking about the churches and he's going, man, every time I think about you guys, I thank God. Because of how the faith that you have, that you've oriented your lives around Christ. And secondly, that you have love toward all the saints. Do you love the church? I mean, do you love her? See, Paul's, when Paul, he says, when he says all the saints, he's talking about the people that comprise the church. See, that's a sign of spiritual maturity. Do you love the church? An immature person only sees the flaws in her. A mature person looks at the church and goes, yeah, you know what? She's got some serious flaws, but I love her. And I will die for her. I will do what it takes to make the church into what God had in his heart when he created her. When he initiated the, the church movement in Acts chapter 2, when, when the Holy Spirit first fell and, the, and the, the gospel went out to people of all nations, races, and creeds, that's the dream that God had. It's obvious in those chapters, but... Are you, do you, do you love the church? Or do you only show up so that you feel good? Or do you show up because it's the thing that you should do because that's what your parents taught you? Or do you actually love the saints? The weirdos, the hypocrites, the flawed ones, the people who vote for Trump, the Democrats, the liberals, the people that you have been indoctrinated to fear, but the same very same people that have a saving faith in the Lord Jesus and are actually closer to you in relation than anybody else on the globe because you share the same bloodline. Do you love the church? 
Do you? It's a good question to ask. Because that's why Paul is thankful for them. And number two, Paul remembers them in prayer. So, first of all, he's giving thanks. I'm not sure would your prayer life change if you actually spent more time giving thanks and like talking about the problems with God. Like you're thinking about the things that you're thankful for. And in Paul's case, the people that he's thankful for. But then he said, it says he remembers them in prayer. For what? Why is he remembering them? Well, he's like, I'm remembering God before you. I, I love the, did anybody ever see the movie? Um, is it, uh, I think it's called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It's about Mr. Rogers. Well, there's this powerful scene where Mr. Rogers is sitting there. He's played by Tom Hanks. And he's sitting there in his bed. And uh, he's got this little book open, and he's thinking about the people that he's met throughout the day, or people that he's that are on his heart and mind. And I love that scene. It was one of the best prayer scenes I've ever seen in a movie because he wasn't like praying in the traditional, Oh Lord God, I beseech thee for thy grace and thy goodness, and I ask thee, O Lord, that thou shouldst bestow upon me the fruits of the you know, like he's not he's not going like old, old English, and neither is he just going and not, neither does he say just all the time. This is a personal pet peeve of mine. This game, I'm off, I'm off the page here right now. But why do we say just all the time when we pray? Or if you just, or just pray that you just be here and just, just wash over us and just like, just speak to us and just, just be here and just, just wrap your arms around us and just a hug and just, and just make yourself just known to us and just. If I was God, I'd be like, if you eliminated just from your prayers, it'd be like. 5% as long as it is, and it would actually have more, <laughs> like, important words. <laughs> but anyway, that's just my pet peeve, but anyway. Like, he's, so he's thanking God, and then he says he's remembering, but I love that, like, in that scene, Mr. Rogers is just remembering people, and he just goes, I remember so-and-so today, I'm thinking about him. And it's like he's in this moment with God where he's just saying, I'm, you know, I'm really thinking about him, and he's got a tough situation going on. That's awesome. Just bringing somebody to God in remembrance, like remembering them. Try it sometime. But then he asks for two, for two things that are just incredible. And two things that I wish we craved in the church today. And one is this. He says, I, I'm asking for a spirit of wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 12, 8, we learn that wisdom is a gift of the Holy Spirit. That is to say that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is the one who imparts to us the spirit of wisdom so that we can not only know things, right? You guys are going to college, so you know lots of stuff, right? Um, but not only do you, do you know things, but you actually know it's not just about that. It's about having the ability to navigate life according to the will of God. Too many Christians are willing to live self-directed lives. When God is waiting to deliver a life of power and meaning far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. In fact, it says so later on in Ephesians that he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. What are you settling for? What is it in your life that you're settling for? And I'm talking about the spiritual stuff. Sometimes when we approach God, we want him to help us with our lives rather than us being a part of his dream. Us being part of the fabric of his reality. And just going, God, I want you to use me however you see fit. You know what happens when Christians actually avail themselves to God and surrender to him and say, God, I want you to use me? Lives get touched. Prophetic words go out that impact people's lives. Miracles happen. People are healed. People are released from demonic oppression. Jesus said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me to, because he, uh, uh, he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Justice happens when people surrender themselves to God. 
Societal issues, systemic issues get broken when the people of God are fully surrendered to him. And we walk in wisdom, not just according to our self-directed lives. We have been taught, we've been indoctrinated as Americans to just walk, just do what you got to do to get ahead. Do what you got to do to make a penny. Do what you got to do to finish that major. And I know some of you guys are like, I wish I had a penny, but I'm a college student. I don't have any money, so thank you. Um, but it is kind of like this get ahead for yourself, right? That idea is proliferated in our society. But then I love this. He says, not only does he want a spirit of wisdom, because wisdom is it, like it's comparatively a safe term. Like, how many of you want wisdom? Raise your hand if you want wisdom. See, nobody doesn't want wisdom here. And just, just if you look around, nobody is like, no, wisdom is stupid. I don't want to be wise. I want to be foolish. I want to, I want to be dumb. I want to make those decisions where I wake up in the morning and go, oh, where am I? Why did I end up here? And why is it on Instagram? You know, like, Nobody wants to live their life that way, really. But then he asks for something that's far edgier. Not just wisdom, but he says, revelation. I want you to experience revelation in the knowledge of him. Look at, look at verse 17. He says, I remember you always in my prayers, that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is incredible. Because everything... This is, this is, it, 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 this is a, a doctrine that happens all over Scripture. That you see that God reveals himself to us. This is the incredible thing about the God of the Bible that makes it different than any other religion. Every other religion says you have to do X, Y, Z to get to God or to get to nirvana or to, to do whatever. But in, in, this, in this book, what we're reading is that God actually reveals himself to us. So we don't get up to heaven. Heaven comes down to us and suddenly God makes himself real. And here's the thing. I can say that until the cows come home. Side note, I don't even know where that phrase comes from. Are there any farm people here who can help me with that? Because do cows come home? I don't know. Are you a farmer? No. Then why are you answering? Thank you. Thank you. I've always wondered. Thank you. Give her a big hand for throwing us in. So I can say that God comes down to earth and God reveals himself to you until the cows come home. <laughs> Thank you for the, for the clarification. But none of that matters unless it becomes real to you. And in John 16 and 17, when Jesus was talking with his disciples just before he died, he said, you know what, it's actually better that I leave uh, than if I stay. And they're like, oh, why? You're Jesus. And he's like, I know, right? But... Um, I, if I go, don't go, the helper won't come. And they're like, who's the helper? He's like the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. He will lead you into all truth. He will make real to you that which you only know is fact. See, there's a big, big difference between knowing about something and knowing it for yourself, right? There's a big difference between reading a recipe, right? Oh, wow, this sounds so great. I can just smell the aroma of this meatloaf in this recipe. There's a huge difference between that and eating the meatloaf. Hello. Some of us need to take a bite of meatloaf tonight. I'm, you know, that's preaching to somebody. Because you have, some of you are here, you've spent your entire life reading about God and reading about spiritual experiences, but not experiencing them yourself. And it's because you have been seeking God, and that is a good thing, but God wants to reveal himself to you in a way that's as different from that idea as reading a recipe is from eating the dinner that God has prepared for you. 
there's a re deeper revelation that God wants to do. The thing is, you can't actually know Jesus apart from the revelation of the Holy Spirit. The word there is apocalypsis, which actually is the word we get apocalypse from. And the only reason we get the word apocalypse from it is because that's the word and title of the book Revelation, is apocalypsis. Um, so it actually means revealing or unveiling. So revelation, revealing, right? Apocalypsis, the uncovering of something. And so God is the only one that can uncover truth and actually apply it to your heart in a way where you're like, I get it. You, I, I remember hearing from a friend of mine who's a prophet, Ben Goodman, and he said, you won't even know that you have a broken heart until the Holy Spirit goes, click. You're like, oh my gosh, I've been living my entire life with a broken heart. And I didn't even realize it. There will be times when you're like, I think I know Jesus, but you actually know God, and you don't know it until the Holy Spirit goes, click. I didn't know Jesus. I know about him, but I don't actually know the real thing. I believe in miracles, but I actually have never seen one because I've been too scared to attempt that prayer. I believe in the, I think I believe in these things, but I have never put them into practice. It is the Holy Spirit who will reveal God to you. But all of the, but it's, it's not just about bells and whistles and doing cool things for God. It's about knowing who God is. And he is the only one who is capable of revealing himself. So, this is the thing. Everything about the experience of being a Christian is rooted in God revealing himself. See, don't be satisfied in just being a good person. That is such a crock. Your life in Christ is not about being a good person. Being a good person, that's, that's what laws are for. That's called being a decent citizen. Like, no, that's not the important thing. And it, the issue in life is not that you would be a good person, but that a good God has come down and revealed himself to you. So you go, whoa, and your life is blown wide open. And when that happens, I think a lot of people are scared of, being, of God revealing himself because they know deep down that if God actually revealed himself, then it would reveal just how ugly I really am, just how beautiful he really is, how deep my sin has taken me, and how far above his grace surpasses it. We're afraid of the actual truth, which is that I am far worse off than I thought I was, but I'm also, but simultaneously, friends, I gotta tell you that you are also far more loved and valued than you could ever possibly imagine. The depth that you are at as a sinner is so far down that Jesus had to die in order to get you out of it. And that's the truth that God reveals to you, but when he does it, he does it in a way that's so loving and so real that it just changes you. That's why in Ezekiel it said he promised that he would take a heart of stone that we have and give us a heart of flesh in place of it. A softness, a life that you can't even express. See, in verse 18 he talks about having the eyes of the heart enlightened that you may know who you are at the core needs to come into alignment with the reality of God. You can't know the truth without knowing who the truth is. See, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So he says, I want you, your hearts to be enlightened. Why? Why? What, what's, what's the big deal about this? And I'm going to wrap this up quickly. He says, I want you to have your hearts enlightened because I want you to know, number one, the hope to which he has called you. There is, always, like I said before, there's always a light shining at the end of the figurative tunnel when you are in Jesus. And it's the only answer to hopelessness. Side note, hope comes from God revealing himself to you in a personal, real, impacting way, not just me talking about it up here, but you experiencing it firsthand. And we are going to take some time worshiping tonight, and I encourage you tonight, 
Ask God to reveal himself to you. And I'm going to pray for us tonight that God would do that very thing. And we are going to strive to encounter God tonight. I can't guarantee anything for you, but I guarantee this, that there is a God who loves you and wants to reveal himself to you in a deeper way tonight. He also talks about the riches of your inheritance. Many of you guys don't even know what you're destined for, and the only way that you're going to know it is if God reveals it to you. And then also he talks about power in verse 19. He talks about the power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the same power that worked miracles through Jesus. It flowed through the disciples and is given. This is the exciting thing. We read it in Ephesians 1.13 last week. It actually is for every believer. You also have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So if you say yes to Jesus, you have a life that's filled with power. You're like, are you saying that I could raise the dead? Yeah, I am saying that. Are you saying that I can heal the sick? Yes, I am saying that that is available to you. I'm not going to guarantee you anything, but uh, that, that you're, gonna, you're not going to have magic powers. That's not the point. It's like, you're a, you know, you're a Christian, Harry. Like, that's not the point. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, <laughs> you know, it's not like, what? it's not like this is not Hogwarts, okay? But this is the reality that the same power that's in Jesus, and we live our lives as though that power is never available to us. I'm never going to be out of financial debt. Why? Because, well, I'm just stuck here. Do you realize that Jesus actually, like, one time his uh, disciples were short on taxes, so he pulled a fish out of the water and there was a coin in it. He's like, here you guys, go pay your taxes. That same power resides in you. And I'm not saying you should go to the river and try to pull out a fish to pay your taxes, but you get what I'm saying. That same provision available to Jesus is available to you. See, this is the power that raised Christ, and this power, he says, it has set him over every... Oh, rulers, authorities, powers, and dominions. What is that referring to? This is the coolest thing, is that this, this power raised Jesus from the dead and breathed life into his dead cells, and they started going again. They started regenerating again. His heart started beating again. The blood started flowing again. The rigor mortis disappeared, and his body became warm again. His brain functions came back again, and he stood up and walked out of the grave because the angels had been gracious enough to move the stone for him so that he could walk out. Oh, and he also was organized, and he stopped and folded the cloth and put it back. Praise Jesus, all you OCD people. Hey, hallelujah, come on. So, he, this power has seated this man, this Jesus Christ, as the highest authority over all entitled authority. It doesn't matter what your title is, right? Rulers. Uh, 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 he says authorities. That means there's no legal power over Jesus. There is no military power over Jesus. There is no geopolitical power over Jesus. And there is no inherited name or family name that is higher than the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the name above all names, the power above all powers who is in this place right now. And if you knew it, you might give him a praise for a second. Amen. Somebody give Jesus just five seconds of praise tonight. Jesus. See, Paul acknowledges the position of Christ. He says all things are under his feet. That means he is sovereign. Somebody say sovereign. Sovereign. So he is the sovereign God, and he is the head of the church. And we'll talk more about what this means later, but he says we, he, he's the head, and we are the body. And he is the head of the church, his body. We are working out his will, and he is the one who is leading and guiding us by the Holy Spirit. So this is the fact that not only are you able to do the work of God, but because he is the head and you are the body and the Holy Spirit is working through you, you are actually required. You have been called to do the work of God. 
There are some of you here tonight who are going to do some of the most supernatural, amazing things you have ever seen in your entire life. And the only way you're going to do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. But you are the body of Christ. We together are the body of Christ. Which means, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a famous German theologian, said that there is only two ways that the body of Christ is made visible. One is through the Eucharist, the taking of the, of the bread and wine and communion. The second is in the church itself. That's the only way that Jesus' body is visible. It's not through those white Jesus paintings where he's like, you know, like with the, like the lame, limp wrist, you know, like that's not, that's not what Jesus looks like. What Jesus looks like is Patrick over here, who's ginger and uh, is from Indiana and has glasses. He looks like Jamie over here, who's a beautiful, dark-skinned Native American woman. Looks like Robbie over here who just got a haircut looks fly, you know. Uh, he, looks, he looks like Michael right here. He's got an awesome man bun rolling right here. This is, this is, he is, he is a person, he, he, the body of Christ is represented in people and persons of all races, cultures, nationality, working together through the power of the Spirit to accomplish that which is impossible to do apart from each other and apart from God. That is the goal. So he acknowledges that Jesus is head over everything. He is the head of the church. All things are under his feet. We are working on his will. He is leading and guiding us by the Spirit. He is the King of Kings. He is the one who is the head. And we gladly submit to him because if you get a revelation of who God is, and I'm not saying I'm there. I'm saying that I'm, de I'm desiring it. I want it. I want a deeper revelation. I want God to get inside of me and just go, this is who I am because deep down I know that Jesus is everything. There is nothing else besides him. He is what uh, Pastor John Piper calls the burning center of the glory of God. Your life needs to revolve around it like the sun. He is the one that gives you life and energy. He's the one that gives you purpose and direction. You can't even see where you're going without light in the dark. And he is the light of the world. So I encourage you tonight. Chase after the deeper revelation of God. You don't know him well enough yet. And I'm not telling you that because I know him better than you. I'm telling you that because I know for a fact that I don't know him enough yet. Paul, years after this, wrote in the book of Ephesians, or not in Ephesians, uh, Philippians, towards the end of his life, he said, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. You know, Paul, what are you talking about? You know him. You're one of the guys. I mean, people touched People touched your, your cloak and they were healed of diseases. There was a kid who fell out of the window one time because you were talking for so long and he died. True story. And you raised him to life by the power of the Spirit. You united churches and drove the movement of God across Europe and changed civilization. And you don't know Christ? And he's going, not enough. It's never enough. I've had a taste. Like the psalm says, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But once you have a taste, I'm telling you, you're going to want another. So tonight, my prayer, I, wanna, I want to pray the same prayer of Paul over you. I do not cease to give thanks for you, regenerate remembering you in my prayers that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give all of you in this room a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. 
that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward all of us together who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named. That's my prayer for you guys tonight. Do you guys want to encounter God in a new way? Throw aside all of your religion. Throw aside all the things that have kept you from him. And tonight, be, be willing to go deeper with him. Here's the question. First of all, what was difficult to understand about this passage? And what, where do you see the gospel in this passage? And then the third question is this. Yeah. What is something you have a hard time believing about God, the Father, Jesus Christ, or the Holy Spirit? Maybe God wants to reveal something about himself to you tonight. What is something you have a hard time believing about one of the persons of the Godhead? The Father, the Son, or the Spirit? Or all three. I don't care. What's something you have a hard time believing about God? 